Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel for today. Glad to be joined by Michelle Liberty, thematic investing strategist for the Americas, as well as Jay Dobson, energy and utilities analyst for the Americas, both from the UBS Chief Investment Office. Michelle, Jay, great to be with you both. Thank you for dropping by and looking forward to our conversation. So I know we're getting together today to talk about a recent blog you both authored, which acknowledges Earth Day for 2023, celebrating good news. And I know we'll get into the good news in a few moments later on in the conversation, though perhaps Michelle is a good starting point. It may be worth starting with the basics for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with Earth Day. What does the holiday symbolize and what is the meaning behind this year's theme, which is invest in our planet? Yeah, it's really a a good question, Dan, because Earth Day actually started all the way back in 1970. uh, And on that day, we actually saw a a very rare moment of bipartisanship. Uh, There had been a few different groups that were arguing or upset over several environmental issues, uh, things like pollution from factories, uh, even things as dirty as, as raw sewage and toxic dumping, uh, so Earth Day 1970 actually enlisted support from both uh, Republicans and Democrats, so both sides of the aisle, uh, you know, workers and business leaders came together, people from all walks of life really uh, to unite on, on Earth Day. And by the end of the year, uh, the first Earth Day actually led to the creation of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or what we all now know as the EPA, uh, and environmental laws actually started proliferating uh, around this as well. So then we saw the National Environmental Education Act, uh, OSHA, and even the Clean Air Act uh, to follow. So you mentioned uh, this year is Invest in Our Planet. Uh, and we do think that, you know, is a great you know, segue to the, the rest of this conversation because we do you know, see a lot of opportunity to do just that. Uh, and there's a lot of investment that's needed, right? We do, we are celebrating good news today, but we do have, you know, a lot more to do. Uh, so I think that's, a, again, a, a great segue to, to the rest of the conversation. Well, Michelle, thank you for sharing some background on Earth Day. It sounds like a very impactful bipartisan initiative at the time that has stood the test of time. And I know we'll dive a bit deeper into the opportunities you mentioned a bit later in the conversation. Before we do that, maybe we can first take a step back, Jay, to welcome you into the conversation, maybe diving into some of that good news we've been talking about. I understand over the course of the past year, some notable progress has been made on multiple energy fronts. So what can you share with us there, Jay? Yeah, Dan, it's a great question. I mean, I I would want people to come away thinking, you know, there's a lot to celebrate this Earth Day some 53 years after the first Earth Day. You know, to your point, we have a lot of work to do and things like net zero 2050, we got a lot of work to do. But I I do think, and and Michelle and I both agree on this, you know, the, the reality is, you know, though there's a lot to do, there's also a lot to celebrate. You know, when we look at just the last 12 months since the last Earth Day of 2022. You know, we've got, you know, record deployment of batteries. Um, We've got ongoing expansion of the electric grid. You know, we've got advances in sustainable aviation. We've got uh, advances in carbon capture. You know, of course, we've got the Inflation Reduction Act here in the U.S. So, you know, these are early signs. And though I know a lot of our listeners, you know, want to point to the one or two things that are really going to put 
push us over the edge, those big bangs, if you will. Um, you know, we would certainly have folks in the theme of, you know, invest in our planet, you know, understand that, you know, it's going to take an all of the above approach, uh, and it's going to be a, a bumpy ride from here to um, something maybe even get, getting towards net zero. Um, but there's a lot to celebrate here. Uh, I would argue the biggest thing we can celebrate, and it's a little bit what Michelle was talking about earlier, you know, in sort of being around this industry for the last 35 years, I've never seen, you know, individuals, corporations, energy suppliers, public policymakers, you know, all of these people who do come to a, a debate on on uh, energy and uh, carbon emissions, you know, with very, very different agendas, uh, all realizing, yeah, there's work to be done here. People don't still agree on everything, and that's arguably a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, but I, I think there is a, a broad understanding that uh, that this does have to move forward. And uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot to celebrate that we've got people growing in the right uh, direction, um, albeit uh, slowly, but uh, people are moving and there are a lot of exciting advancements that are occurring. Well, Jay, thank you for sharing those developments. Of course, very encouraging to hear how innovations are accelerating, as you pointed out. A lot of work ahead of us, though we do need to, of course, acknowledge all of the progress that has been made thus far. So maybe at this point we can spend a few moments talk about some of the investment opportunities as it relates to this topic to be mindful of. I know, Jay, Michelle, you have a few you want to share with our listeners, our clients. Jay, maybe you can begin if you want to update us on energy storage in particular. Yeah, Dan, this this is really exciting. And it was, you know, sort of what I was mentioning a moment ago, you know, a record amount of of batteries deployed and you might you know our listeners might think why do we really need batteries outside of EVs but you know when we're looking at solar and wind you know these are coincident technologies and what that means is you know solar panels work really well when the sun is shining they don't work particularly well say in the middle of the night for example uh, wind similarly on no wind days they're not doing very much um, so that coincidence uh, allows batteries to be sort of hooked up to these facilities and provide what looks like, you know, sort of more stable facilities. Um, and batteries are getting cheaper, so that is definitely helpful. We're it, ramping up the production of batteries globally. Um, this will uh, help the uh, evolution of electric vehicles, but quite frankly, it also helps the grid uh, really in a long-term basis, and this is multi-decades in the future, you know, we could really have a far more efficient grid just by having a lot of these batteries, essentially the shock absorber for when supply really exceeds demand, we can store power and then we can draw on that supply when demand increases. So, you know, there's a lot to celebrate around batteries. It's not just EVs. It's helping us uh, use more solar and wind resources as that is probably going to be, you know, the fastest growth of any power generation resource in the United States for you know, well over the next uh, two or three decades. Yeah, thanks, Jay. That was a really good overview of the, the storage market there. Um, and one thing I'll add to Dan is that you know, we also mentioned grid infrastructure in our, our recent blog. And after 18 years, uh, an electric grid transmission line large enough to power a million homes uh, and deliver three gigawatts of power was actually approved. So 18 years, um, you know, it's quite some time, right? But we do think you know, this is 
is one step in in the right direction, and it's it's one step that's part of of many. So there's actually a couple different efforts being made here um, to start facilitating uh, more capacity for transmission uh, and improving some more of those lines. So transmission is really at the very simplest uh, description here is a link between where power is generated and where it needs to go. So it can take electricity from the power generation site uh, to the end user. And demand and supply don't always perfectly match in one locality, right? So Again, a, a very oversimplified example. Uh, my colleague Jay on the phone here could probably give a much more uh, specific description uh, as she's really the expert. But again, just very high level, if Wyoming is having a really windy day and generating a lot of power, um, say it's a day, but it's also not too hot outside, you don't really need a lot of AC, so demand isn't much higher than normal, you've got some additional supply, what transmission can do is take that power move it where demand is high enough to need it. Uh, you know, maybe it's a really, really hot day in California and everyone's cranking their AC, so they've got higher demand than usual and they need to impor- import some some capacity. So we really do see transmission um, as kind of a key link, uh, no pun intended, in the, in the transition. Uh, and it's overall an area where we do see opportunity uh, for the companies that can benefit from these build-outs uh, and also those that can provide the transmission services. Um, but let me let me pause there and turn it back to you, Jay. I know um, you have some comments to make about carbon capture as well. Yeah, well, I love the point you make on grid transmission and, and transmission infrastructure because it really is critical. It's sort of the dirty underbelly of the transition, but really important. But another one similar is carbon capture. You know, a lot of us would like to move very quickly to resources um, that don't produce carbon, and you know, there'll be lots of opportunities there. But you know, there's going to be lots lots of portions of the economy that are going to be very, very difficult to decarbonize. And so I, as I think about this, and I've been thinking about it a long time, you know, it's hard to imagine that we can't, that we can get to something that is materially lower carbon emitting, you know, without having carbon capture and sequestration. And what that is, is essentially capturing the carbon dioxide right at the point where it is emitted, uh, capturing it, putting it in a pipeline, and then ultimately putting it in the ground. You know, there's also direct air capture that is, you know, just like a fan in your home trying to collect carbon dioxide out of the air. Um, so, look, I, I think there is a lot of opportunity here. And you might think, wow, this is a whiz-bang technology. You know, we've been doing carbon capture here in the United States for well over 30 years. The challenge has always been it's somewhat expensive. But, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act gives some tax credits. There's lots of opportunities to see this advance. And I'm really encouraged to see companies really embracing that opportunity to really work on the technology and look at opportunities to reduce the cost. So, you know, I, I think there it is something to, to celebrate in, in carbon capture because it will be a very quick win if we can get this economically uh, working to reduce carbon emissions uh, through capture and sequestration. Well, there really seems to be a nice mix of opportunity to be mindful of. And I did point out at the top of our conversation, the blog, which acknowledges Earth Day for 2023 
celebrating good news within that blog. Our listeners, our clients can read further into these opportunities mentioned and, of course, do have a follow-up conversation with your UBS financial advisor if you want to learn more. Though, Michelle J., thank you both for dropping by Top of the Morning today to celebrate Earth Day for 2023. As we covered, a lot of good news to be mindful of, also acknowledging the road ahead, the work to be done, uh, but that is for another conversation. But thank you both again for dropping by. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thank you, Dan. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.